And it is International Overdose Awareness Day. And every year when that happens, we focus on drug addiction and, of course, the opioid crisis. But we've just gone through a pandemic and we're in phase four. So let's face it, there's a different kind of intensity on this topic. Joining us is Roger McIntyre, Professor of Psychiatry and Pharmacology at the University of Toronto, head of Mood Disorders Psychopharmacology Unit at the University Health Network. Roger, thank you for being here. It's wonderful to be with you. Such an important topic. I'm glad we're covering it today. How are you feeling this year? As I mentioned, you know, it's a big topic every year. We have just been so surprised and overwhelmed year after year if we see what has happened with this opioid crisis. Let's face it, a couple of decades growing and growing. And now we have uh, the pandemic. What does this day stand for you this year? Pandemic for me is what we call a syndemic, a syndemic when there's more than one epidemic or pandemic occurring at the same time. Uh, this is not simply a uh, a pandemic of this awful virus. It's a pandemic of mental health crisis. And uh, the objective evidence on this issue, whether from Canada or the United States, is absolutely incredulous. The rise in uh, poisonings due to opioids in both countries and right across Canada, right across the United States, some regions affected more than others. It really is, in fact, a, a, a tragic reminder of the uh, additional crises that are occurring uh, affecting humanity along with the misery of this virus. And is how, what has it shown you? Is there anything that's happened in this virus where you thought, well, I get it. I get some, some new aspect of this really big challenge. I think for me, what has really been a consequence of the coronavirus, the pandemic that has played a part in this terrible worsening of the opioid crisis has to do with the healthcare system and how it's coordinated. And I use the word coordinated in italics. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I mean by that is, is that we are hearing that for many people, the reason in part why we've seen this terrible, unaccepted, uh, unacceptable situation is because they haven't had access they haven't had access to case management. They haven't had access to their healthcare providers. They haven't had access, in some cases, to their uh, drug treatment of their uh, opioid-related uh, disorder. This, along with the fact we're hearing lots about the supply chain, of course, we're hearing about contamination and adulteration of drugs on the street with fentanyl and carfentanyl. In other words, the lethality of what's out on the street has only just skyrocketed the last couple of uh, years, and, and you know, co- coincident with what's happening. But to stay on this issue of the healthcare system, we have got to find, we have got to find a way to create a mental healthcare system that works, and works uh, in the good days, and works when it's under strain. And we have seen some positives. We've seen with respect to telehealth, we've seen some of the divestiture federal and provincial funding towards mental health care programs, psychiatric first aid. You know what's really interesting? Uh, there are some preliminary data that we're just about to report in Canada that the suicide completion rate in Canada during the last year or so has slightly come down during this terrible crisis. 
Now, of course, we welcome that. We want zero suicides. In but why Canada. do you think that is? We've, we saw a little bit of that reporting, I think, in the UK, and I think it was surprising. But why do you think it is? Never one single explanation. I yeah. wish there was. But here are a couple of aspects that I think are playing a part. First is, is I do believe that what you've seen is you've seen a ramping up of telehealth. That has helped the access to uh, mental health services in some jurisdictions. We've also seen a uh, increased resources divested to psychiatric first aid programs, and that's clearly been helpful. I think there's also been an attempt to have greater coordination of mental health care in Canada. Now, this, along with provisions like students having some financial aid, small business getting financial aid, in other words, economic housing and food security as a priority, I think has also benefited our people and has boosted resiliency. And I think we can agree this has been an unbelievable stressor. So the system's been stressed and we've seen a decrease in suicide. Here's what I think is the the exciting part about this. Mm -hmm. There's a lesson learned here. The lesson learned is that we do not, as a population, need to accept that every year in Canada, close to 4,000, in the United States, close to 45,000 people die by suicide. We don't need to accept that. These are clearly modifiable numbers. Most people have a diagnosable mental illness, and most don't have access to highly effective treatments. And you see what's happening with the opioid crisis. We have highly effective treatments. But the coronavirus, or more specifically, some of the you know, uh, public health interventions that were put in place, served as a barrier for people to have access to that care. And then look what has happened. So I think we have, uh, you know, uh, obviously there's been plenty of dour aspects about this coronavirus, but we've got a lot of positive messages. And I do hope going forward, you know, we heard about Operation Warp Suite, uh, yeah. you know, pr- pr- producing these the vaccines. vaccines in six months. Well, why don't we have Operation Warp Speed for people with mental health-related problems in Canada? Because the good news is this coronavirus is not going to be a headline story for years and years from now. It's going to go into the back story. It'll probably be around for quite some time. But the mental health crisis of this is going to continue. We had a crisis long before the pandemic. And And we're going to have it after. Roger, I want to ask you something, because I think it it is fascinating to a lot of people that the suicide incidents, completions, as you say, have have gone down. What about, you know... One of the most overwhelming parts of the pandemic was that people started to see things differently. You know, if I had a a dollar for every person who said it it really brought home what was important and people couldn't see each other, they couldn't take that for granted. And there was that feeling of connectedness. And we knew we had to give people who might be lonesome a call. And I did. And I was along with many other people who said, how are you doing? And sent them a text or gave them a call or sent them an email, really didn't take for granted that someone else would do it. Or is that part of this, do you think? I think it unequivocally is part of this. And I think you've had a shift. And I think in the sense there's been a collective or sort of in this together notion. There's been a, a real attempt to be neighborly. I think people become probably more neighborly, uh, philosophically and literally than they probably have ever in their lives. Um, but, you know, The way I think about it also in this time is that we have to look at our population in subgroups. I mean, we have seen this laid bare that some people in our society clearly don't have the same economic advantage, the same access to health care advantage. We've got tremendous inequality and disparity and cutting across ethnic, racial and economic lines. 
And there are subgroups, there's people in our society who, in fact, not fared well. And I think this is the way we need to look at it. We need to find out why that's the case and help these folks who are more vulnerable. There's no question about it. There's no question about it that others have done very well for the reasons we're talking about. I think a summary statement that, you know, the general population has done well during COVID would not be accurate. I think a summary statement would be that there's lessons learned. Some have fared well, some have not fared as well. And of course, we should be focusing on those who've done less well, informed by lessons learned right across the board. But I do think this notion's true. There has, in fact, been people describing a sense of greater connectedness, neighborliness. And I think you could also say people have found that, you know, they've, they've changed their life and their priority. But others have told me, and the literature shows us, we've reported on this, because they're no longer at, in, in their office and seeing friends, they're also feeling quite lonely and, and have worsened mental health. So it can cut both ways. And that's why I think we need to look at this the way we put light through a prism, the different colors. There's different colors to this. We need to understand those different colors. It's true. And, you know, it, it was perhaps uh, a moment. People who live through wars often talk about it. My parents did. And they talked about the things they learned and they carried them all through their lives and brought it to every crisis or every challenge. Yeah. And now let's hope that we we did learn a few things and maybe we took a lot for granted. And essentially that connectedness and being there in person or knowing people were there. And then for those who, who didn't have everything, they probably saw people, Roger, finally, who had it all. And one day they, too, had some similar challenges. So they may have felt not so isolated in what they were going through. Uh, so wonderfully put. You know, what's so interesting. We've looked at the effect of the pandemic on mental health across the age span, and our older population has actually fared on average better. Now, we know that they were more vulnerable to the virus, but from a mental health perspective, as a general statement, they have fared better than the younger population. And I think it's in part to what you're talking about with respect to life experience. In many, but not all cases, uh, there was uh, connections and supports for them. And certainly in the younger population, I'll be very generous now, under the age of 30, how's that for younger? <laughs> um, we, we saw a tremendous amplification of loneliness and social disconnectedness from people. Yeah, which they I think weren't used to the it. Yeah, they was it. All, this right. was all new. Roger McIntyre, thank you for joining us and helping us see the light here on International Overdose Awareness Day. Thanks kindly. You have a great evening. And cheers you as to well. all you do. Take thank care. you. Thank you. Roger McIntyre, professor of psychiatry, pharmacology at the University of Toronto, head of mood disorders, psychopharmacology unit at University Health Network. For Alex Pearson, good evening. I'm Arlene Bynan, Global News Radio.